Actual podcast. The Knicks didn't make the playoffs. It didn't stop us from talking about that. The Knicks don't have a first-round draft pick, so we're sure as hell not going to let us stop it from talking about that. Also, I'm Brian Giberman on the Knicks Wall Podcast, joined by Sam Vicini. From Sam, you do a whole bunch of different crap. Do what you got to do. Tell us where you work, uh, what you write, where what you got up that you want people to see. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty much with SB Nation. Um, kind of do a whole lot of different things over there. Um, my home's probably for the NBA draft, Fear the Sword, which is the Cavs uh, website, which is good news for this draft. Um, right at uh, Land Grant Holy Land, which is the Ohio State site. Do a little bit of work for the uh, SB Nation's college basketball. Uh, just hub, I guess, is what they're referring it to. So, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place on SB Nation. <laughs> you, you don't think Kraft is an NBA player, do you? Um, I think that Matt Delavadova kind of helped him this year by showing that a guy who hustles, a guy who can just pester the hell out of people defensively actually has a place. But and can't Kraft he shoot? Is, uh, well, Delavadova can shoot. That's the big thing. But he didn't particularly shoot well this year either. Um, it, I don't think that Kraft is, but I also wouldn't put it past him. He tested really well at the combine athletically for quickness, for like just the things that you would expect him to test well for. So it's not a situation where he's only just a hustle guy. He's actually a really good athlete that can stay in front of NBA-level athletes, I think. I, I've so never despised the college basketball player so much. <laughs> Most people don't like him. I actually hated him for the first three years he was in college, and then this year I couldn't like, I couldn't help but kind of gain an appreciation for him because that Ohio State team had no one that could actually create off the dribble except for him, which was beyond my understanding given his first three years in college. But he actually figured out a way to – I think he's going to be able to keep people honest off the dribble. I don't think he's going to be able to like blow by people necessarily, but he'll be able to keep people honest off the dribble if he's a point guard. It just comes down to the shot. If, it's, if the shot isn't a total dumpster fire like it is right now, I think he can make it. But – if it's a total dumpster fire like it is right now, then no, I don't think that he'll end up being an NBA player. He, he was the only person I watched that was able to guard Trey Burke. He used to just guard. He drive me nuts. I wanted. Yeah. To sh- I wanted to strangle him. All right. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you're. Are you an NFL guy? You- um, a little bit here and there. Uh, I, I'm kind of picking up the Browns due to Johnny Football. So I, I'm more of a college bas- or college football guy than. NFL guy. Do, okay, so do you, do you follow the NFL draft at all? Do you pay attention to it at all? Uh, yeah, I do. Do you, yeah. do you know what, as we go through the process, because I, I don't like watching college basketball. It, it, the sport kind of bores me a little bit. I'm a Michigan fan, it's and I watch. Yeah, and what, what and I get lucky is because if you were to do watchability rankings, Michigan with Beeline would probably rank first in those every year. They're so, definitely top five. Yeah. So, the I do my college basketball, my NBA draft stuff, catching up through YouTube and Draft Express. You, you know what's interesting is how much easier it is to cram for the NFL draft than it is for the NBA draft. It's much easier. Like, 
the cutups and stuff, you can. It's weird. You can watch and you can you can watch an NFL game in ten minutes with those cutups and see what you need to see and really figure it out. With yeah, the draft NBA, breakdown does some pretty cool stuff, don't they? Where they just totally cut up tape and yeah, but give and you what you need. The, the, is there any way to do that for the NBA, or is it just you really just need to watch full games to be able to study this stuff? See, I, I kind of come from the school of thought where you probably should be watching full games all year if you're into the, the NBA draft, just because you, it's the best way to get a feeling for guys. These cut-up highlight tapes, they help, but they don't really give you the full feel. Like, I kind of feel like that's why people love Noah Von Ley right now, because they're watching these cut-up tapes on Draft Express, who does a fantastic job of them, Um they watch these highlight tapes on YouTube and things, and they kind of forget that he floated the entire year. That, like, you see some cool stuff that he was able to get out in transition, that he has, like, a somewhat mid-post game where he can dribble a little bit. But you see, you don't see the part where he's floating around, not near the rim, not taking advantage of the wingspan that gives him, or that has, like, raised his draft stock so exponentially in the last two weeks. So I kind of agree with you in that there probably isn't a way to, or at least your premise, that there probably isn't a way to cram for the NBA draft well, but Draft Express is really helping with the videos. So it's good and it's bad, I guess. Yeah, and the Draft Express videos are great, but you just can't get a feel... For a basketball game, you need to see everything in the flow. Exactly. I, I agree with you. You need to sit down and you need to watch what a kid does on every play. Because as you said, like Draft Express, even them, what they do is, and I watched the Von Ley tape last night, like they'll show some stuff, but you don't you don't get the feel for everything that you just talked about. Because I watched them. I loved them last night. And I, was, and I watched them. He played, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, he played pretty well against Michigan also, which was my exposure to him. And that so I, I, I kind of like, and he can shoot for, that's what I said, I'd rather take him than Parker. You probably think I'm crazy. Not Parker. Not, not, not Parker. I, I said that wrong. Wrong. Randall. I, I, Noah Von Ley, I, I don't buy the shot first off. Like I, it's okay. There's a, there's a like framework to work with, I guess. I just don't see it as like he shot, 48% on 33-pointers or something this year. Um, I see it more as a obviously small sample that he's not that kind of shooter. He's probably not even, in my opinion, over high periods of time, a 35% shooter from like 18 feet right now. I don't think the shot is particularly fluid. I think there's like a minor hitch that he needs to iron out. I think that there's just kind of a lot going on there with Von Ley that I don't really get. Like you, you love the package, you love the wingspan, you love the height that he's like six nine and a half now. You love the fact that he really gets after the boards. He might be the best rebound rebounder in the draft after Julius Randle, um, but there's just something missing with him that you kind of have to watch full games to really get an appreciation for it. It's like the idea of how Lamar Odom was going to come in and be an NBA superstar. 
whenever he was in the draft, but there was just something missing there to where he ended up settling into the third to fourth best guy on a title team as opposed to all-star level. Which is, there was nothing wrong with Lamar Odom's Oh, no, 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 no. there's either. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I, I just kind of mean that as an example of what I think Von Ley is missing. I see Von Ley as like a starter, but not an all-star, I would say. All right, so like, the, ca- they, the Cavs have the first pick. If Embiid checks out health-wise, that's direction they go, you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean... I love Andrew Wiggins. I think that David Griffin would love to take Andrew Wiggins because I think he kind of wants to get out and run. And it's also really hard to kind of gauge what they're going to do without a coach. Like, they don't have a style in place. They don't have a kind of direction at the moment of what kind of team they want to build. And David Griffin, above all, during his – I forget how long he's been the general manager now, probably – three or four months, has preached fit, fit, fit above all else. So it's kind of hard to know if he wants to take a guy that fits with the first pick or if he wants to take just the best player who has the chance to be the absolute best. So I think that Joel Embiid is pretty clearly the highest, has the highest potential in this draft. He, you watch him, he's still, he's one of those guys whose arms are so long and he's so tall that he looks like he's still rising whenever he's dunking the ball. You know what I mean? And the shot looks pretty good. Again, like Von Ley, it looks like there is a framework to kind of get there. I actually think that he's really far along offensively. He's, I think he's going to be comparable. I actually talked to this uh, with, Conrad Kazmarek, the editor of Fear the Sword, uh, yesterday, I think that he's actually pretty comparable to Anthony Davis, his rookie year offensively. Davis wasn't close to what he is in his second year offensively during his rookie year, I didn't think. But between the kind of post game that Embiid has with the jump hooks, the ability to run, the ability to move in the pick and roll, the just general footwork and skills that he has, he's going to be able to score probably something like 17 points per game per 36. It's on the defensive end that I think he's going to struggle a little bit. During his uh, first probably two months in the NCAA, he really struggled a lot with foul trouble. He was probably up around like seven and a half, eight fouls per 40 minutes while he was playing for Kansas for those first there for those first two months. Um, he figured it out. It got, way better for him. Um, he's He rapidly improved defensively, but I think it's just going to be starting from scratch again like every other NBA defensive player does. So I think that he's someone that might only play like 20, 25 minutes a game as a rookie, but then the light's going to eventually come on defensively, and he's probably going to be a force on both ends. So yeah, I, I would think that he is the pick. I think that he definitely has the highest potential. This is a potential Hall of Famer that you're looking at. Just from a body, from a game, from every perspective, you could look at it as this is a potential Hall of Famer. And I mean, you look at Wiggins and Parker, I mean, they're much less likely. They probably are, but they're much, 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 much less likely to ever get to that level. 
The uh, well, you talked about the the minutes with the with the young centers. Yeah, I don't think people realize how slowly centers get brought along. I was doing some research for something on Bright Side of the Sun and for with Alex Len, and I looked up second year centers over se- second, not even centers, players over seven feet who have who played over. 25 minutes a game, and there's only been like nine players since 1943 who have played over 25 minutes a game as a as over seven feet in their second year. Yeah, it, it's so people have to realize that these guys, like as a rookie, he might not even be a 20 minute; he might be a 15 minute a game guy as a rookie. And people can't panic about something that like that, and just understand that's the process these guys go through. Uh, Embiid. Uh, he's only played. Everyone knows he's only played about four years. The turnovers, the, the turnovers, long term issue, or you think something that can get fixed pretty quickly? Um, I think that. I mean, there are always kind of issues for centers, right? You know what I mean? Like there are centers that are better at not turning the ball over than other centers, but I think that he'll limit them eventually. Like, he has very good hands. He has big hands. He is one of those guys who kind of catches everything in his, like, massive, massive uh, parameter, I would say. But, yeah, I think it's one of those things where sometimes he turns into bad double teams. Like, he just kind of doesn't exactly know where to go yet, like you said, with the four-year thing. So... Yeah, I think he'll eventually limit them. They might not ever be great. Like, he might turn the ball over, like, three times or four times per 36, like, throughout his career. But everything else that he brings is just so outrageous a lot of the time that you kind of just have to roll with it and deal with it. What separates Parker and Wiggins to you? Um, so I actually think that, there isn't a lot that separates them. I'm kind of by myself on that one. I think that if I was the Cavs, I would probably take Wiggins. I think that the upside does separate them a little bit. But the thing about Wiggins is guys don't really improve their ball handling. Like That's a hard thing to improve. I know that Durant did it, but that's not really something you expect from development cycles, you know what I mean? Yeah, I I have that fight with Knicks fans about Timmy all the time, and that people think he's going to turn into, like, an all-star guard, and he doesn't doesn't know how to dribble. That's kind of an issue. Yeah, I mean, I I like Tim Hardaway Jr. too. I had him, I was one of the few people that had him, like, in the top, like, 20s. I probably had him, like, the mid-20s where the Knicks took him last year. I think a lot of people, like, were didn't really ex- know what to expect of him last year. And he kind of did exactly what I expected. The guy can fill it up from distance. And the guy, he has like decent secondary ball handling skills. He just doesn't have primary ball handling. He's, skills. he's, you he's, I mean? he's a streaky eighth man. That's a, f- I think that even with the dearth of shooting guard talent in the NBA right now, I think he probably is going to be like a top 30 shooting guard in the NBA. Like a, in theory, a starter, right? But, yeah, I mean, he might be, his best bet might be as, like, a Jamal Crawford who just, like, fills it up off the bench. Yeah, but... As far as, like, roll. Yeah, like, Crawford can dribble and create his own shot, though. That's the... 
he, yeah. he is, and he has to play off other people. He, all right, I don't want to turn this into a Tim Hardaway Jr. conversation. <laughs> Everyone knows I don't like him. All right, uh, we, Parker Wiggins. Anyway, let's go yeah. back to Parker and Wiggins. So the thing that scares me with Wiggins is obviously ball handling. He has the high dribble, but even if he irons that out slightly, we're still talking about an all-star. Like I think that with Wiggins, we're kind of talking about, at worst, a DeMar DeRozan kind of situation where maybe he ends up never getting good enough from the ball handling standpoint to where he can just flat out turn the corner all the time like you would think his athleticism would allow. And so he takes some probably too many mid-range shots. But I think that eventually that gets ironed out enough to where he will be able to turn the corner enough to make his mid-range shot and that like kind of jab step that he already has just so lethal that it's going to, we're talking multiple time all-star here. And plus you look at the defense, the defense is immaculate. I would love to see him go to a place like the Suns place where they play up-tempo basketball and just let them loose in a Sean Marion role. Don't let them, don't make them worry about dribbling. Don't make them worry about anything other than just being a an insane, massive athlete. Just let him run, let him defend, let him do all of that. Like, that seems to me to be his best-case scenario. That's... Like a souped-up Sean Marion when Sean Marion was with the Suns. And that's a great player. That's an all-star player. That's what I didn't like about him going to Kansas, because, yes, Bill Self put him in the best position to succeed for Kansas, and... Playing off the ball, cutting. Yeah. I would have liked to seen him go somewhere that would have helped him expand his game a little bit more with good a good development coach that would have helped him work on the ball handling and those skills a little bit more than we saw at Kansas. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I mean, from an NBA standpoint, he probably did not make the best decision to go to Kansas. But, I mean... I'm not going to fault a kid for making a college decision and going where he felt comfortable, kind of. So, I mean, it is what it is. He kind of just has to live with it now. But, I mean, he's still young. He's still 19. He'll still have time to try and iron out this ball handling thing. He'll try be able to try and iron out the shot from distance, which I think that he'll eventually get. But it's just going to be a process with Wiggins, whereas with Parker – you pretty much know exactly what you're getting right away. You know that you're getting a guy who can jab step to death, blow by you with the dribble. He'll be able to blow by pretty much every power forward in the NBA if you think he's a four. I'm not sure that you should limit him to being a four, given his athleticism. People say he has slow feet on defense. That's fine. But you can line him up the three on offense, and he will be able to blow by, I don't know about blow by, but he'll be able to get around threes. He'll be able to shoot over threes in the NBA. Yeah, I'd rather just skip the part of the career where he plays the three and just get him to the four. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as Carmelo that you probably went through. It's The guy is going to be able to play the three. He's going to be able to get the ball on the perimeter and do everything with it on offense. He can. There's not a thing on offense that Jabari Parker can't do. It's just he's probably better off at the four where he is immediately one of, I mean, they're, they're the only better athlete at the four might be Blake Griffin than Jabari Parker. 
the guy is an incredible athlete if you have him at the four. It's it's more about the defensive end with these guys for me, and I'd rather I'd go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'd rather them bang down low than be able to be in space on the perimeter. I that's my preference. I think you can hide them a little bit better that way. See, I know there's been a lot of talk about what about how bad Jabari was this year and how Coach K had to kind of sit him a few times and all of that. I just, I don't buy that he's that bad defensively. I've seen him play 20, 25 times now because I'm a Duke fan. I watch a lot of basketball or a lot of their basketball. And I see a guy who does have slow feet. That's a fair sentiment. He doesn't, he's not a, an elite athlete at the three as far as his speed. He might not even be an average athlete at the three as far as his speed. But I think that at the three, you might be able to have him kind of play a Ron Artest-like-ish thing where he's just so much stronger than every three that he might be able to, I guess Paul Pierce is a better example, where he might just be able to power people off of their spot, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Like, his defensive instincts aren't great yet. That's a fair statement. But then again, he was stuck playing the four and five on defense all year. Like, it wasn't a circumstance where he got a lot of chances to defend threes. He might have defended threes for 40 minutes out of, like, his... uh, How many minutes did he play? Probably 900 minutes this year. You know what I mean? So, I wouldn't put it, like, out of the realm that he can defend threes. Because the guy is strong. The guy's a good athlete. He might have slow-ish feet, but you're looking... That a guy that's still a great, great athlete. I think he might be able to stay in front of them in the way that Paul Pierce does, at least. And to be fair to him, that Duke team was one of the worst defensive teams I've ever watched. That Duke team <laughs> had the worst defensive communication I've seen under Coach K. That was, it was incredible. And part of it was just their personnel. Like they had Rodney Hood playing the four with Parker at five sometimes. And Obviously, you're not going to be able to make that work. Like, Parker was pretty regularly the tallest person out on Duke's court because he's probably a little bit bigger than Emile Jefferson. Uh, Well, Jeff, he's definitely thicker than Emile Jefferson, at least. Jefferson's pretty much just a rail, but he might be, I guess Jefferson might be a little bit taller and a little bit longer. But he was basically the biggest guy out on defense for Duke pretty regularly, which is obviously going to be an issue for rim protection. They let teams get into the paint like it was nobody's business because Quinn Cook is the bane of my existence. And yeah, that Duke team, that defense, the defensive communication, the defensive personnel, there was nothing good about it last year. There's no circumstance where obviously you have to take something away from it. And obviously you're going to take away something bad from it. But I don't think that you should only take that away from Parker's defense. I think you should probably consider the fact that he is an athlete. He is strong. He might actually be able to get out in space and defend a little bit in the way that Paul Pierce does. That's it. I've been waiting. I I was kind of upset Duke lost to Mercer. I've been waiting pretty much my whole life for Michigan to beat Duke in the NCAA tournament. And... (laughs) I really thought they would have beat them if they would have played this year because we at least had two guys, two centers that weren't great, 
I Dave. think that Jordan Morgan is probably the worst NCAA player who now leads his team in NCAA games. He's he's. I don't think he's good by any means. And you saw <laughs> that last year when they got so much better in the NCAA tournament when McGarry played, but. He's and he he was a functioning NCA player and Horford was nothing special but he was a functioning NCA player and when we played them in the regular season Stauskas had an ankle and they were still trying to figure out how to fit McGarry in so it wasn't really Michigan hadn't really figured it out yet I think they would have smoked them if they would have played in the Sweet 16 and I'm the kind of upset I didn't get playing, to see that that's probably fair I'd say. Oh, so, yeah, I kind of was upset we didn't get to do that. Um, <laughs> after those top three, who's your favorite player? After those top three, I mean, here's the problem. We've seen Dante Exum. I've seen three of his games now. I don't think that's nearly enough to make an evaluation on him. You know what I mean? From what I've seen, I like him. I From the... Draft Express video I've seen. I like him. His Draft it's, Express video was fucking incredible. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's also playing against, like, you and me. me. Yeah. In Australia. Like, trust me, my girlfriend's Australian. We always talk about how basketball, like, there's nothing there. Like, there's literally, like, they don't care about basketball at all. So you and I should move to Australia so we could play professionally? I mean, I'm like 5'9". I might not be able to work that, but... Still, like, the basketball there is awful. It's We might be able to coach then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm five. I'm a 5'9 Jewish guy also. That Yeah, bas- <laughs> professional basketball is nowhere near in my future. My I, I'm past my peak. I'm 29, and I'm fat and out of shape. So, yeah, bas- my prime basketball years are past me. I'm still me. even in shape, and I can never play <laughs> basketball well, at least. I can defend, but I can never actually get the whole shooting thing down. <laughs> we got to join me and you together. I could shoot a little bit, but I am the laziest guy ever on defense. There we go. <laughs> All right, Exum, go. Anyway, getting back to Exum, he's that weird, he has that weird athleticism where the first step is super explosive. Like, he blows by everyone. Like, even in the Hoop Summit games, he was, or in the Hoop Summit game, he was blown by everyone. Like, it didn't matter. And then you look at him leap, and he's like kind of a guy that floats in the air when he jumps, right? Like, it's, it's not like an explosive leap, but it's a super super quick leap and he gets up and he just kind of floats there like it's it's just a strange strange thing to watch it's a weird athletic like kind of thing that he meshes and he's a smart player I just yeah it's hard for me to make an evaluation and see like where his basketball sense is and where every like his skills are his shooting looks good not great I mean he also thinks he's a point guard, which is insane. Like, I don't know if I, I just can't judge it yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have, you, you have to see. Is he playing in the Worlds? I don't know. That's a good question. He, if I was his uh, agent, I would not let him. But, I mean, yeah, I don't know. When, I, when I mean, are I've the Worlds? Him. He played the Worlds last year. That's where I saw a couple of his games. When, when are the Worlds? I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't remember. Hold on, I want to look this up. Because that's like the one thing I'm waiting for that's going to get me through this summer of, so I don't have to watch baseball. <laughs> God, do I hate when basketball season ends. Uh, 2014 Worlds. 
the it's gonna you know what's gonna come up is soccer shit. FIBA yeah, probably World Cup here. Yeah, we have we have World Cup this year. It'll it'll stem the tide. That's you know what I'm not I'm not a soccer guy, but I'll I'll watch World Cup. I can I can do that August 30th to September 14th. So he'll already have been drafted already. He'll have his contract. I don't see any. They could let him play in that. I mean, yeah, probably. It's just more whether or not you want him to mesh with the team and kind of continue to grow, I guess. Because he's probably going to go to the Magic. Like, I don't see a circumstance where they pass on him, do you? I mean, they need a point guard. Yeah, like, they tried that Victor Oladipo, like, experiment last year. And I get it from a develop-his-skills perspective. But he's not a point guard. He's, at his best, is an off-guard who can just be an athlete. That, that's all. I mean? it, so. What you just said is all I read into that was they were just trying to get him to work on his ball handling. I didn't think of it anything as a long-term thing they were planning on using him as a point guard. God, would that be freakish athletically, him and Oladipo together. That would be awesome. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, Exum wants to be a point guard, and it would work. That's a perfect situation for him, I think. They have another lottery pick at 12, I believe. They could pick up another great piece. You could pick up a guy like McDermott, who you could place next to Exum and Oladipo, and that would be a perfect fit for McDermott at three. You'd have two guys that are athletic enough to hopefully step over onto twos and threes. You could put McDermott on the worst of the uh, perimeter players, and you'd be fine. The only I don't know if I like McDermott next to Tobias Harris at three and four though. Well, that's a bad idea. You're definitely right there, but I mean, I think that McDermott's probably going to be better than Tobias Harris. So I think that they're just kind of picking up pieces more than anything. How do you really like Aaron Gordon? Um, I like him better than Von Lay. I think that I, I mean I already mentioned the Sean Marion thing for Wiggins, but. That's another guy that I think at his best is just a guy who you throw in a Sean Marion role with the Suns and just kind of let him run all over the place and defend. He can't shoot yet. He can't. Uh, isn't he has good basketball skills? Like he can dribble. He can like actually kind of blow by guys. He's really good in transition. Actually, like with the ball, it's just the shooting that you kind of need to work with him on. It's going to be a process. Um, you kind of need to just totally revamp his lower body. Um, with the shot, I mean, you need to get him to bend his knees a little bit more. You need him to kind of get the, he's like a minor hitch kind of going on at the top too. So you kind of need to iron him out. But again, you could have him come in immediately like MKG did and defend and just have him run all day. <laughs> the The biggest thing for me for these guys who can't shoot is the easiest way to hide that is if they're great passers. Do you think Gordon moves the Gordon ball? Gordon actually is a very good passer. Yeah, that that's what I thought too. He can make those interior passes when he goes to the lane and get the other big dunk. Here's here's kind of like a weird thing with him. He can... Uh, Arizona sometimes this year had him handle the ball in pick and rolls and then also be the screener in a pick and roll. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a sense of like what his versatility is. Like You're, you're able to put him in a lot of different roles... And hopefully you will get a good result. Like the guy is just an extremely versatile player to where you can kind of do a whole lot of different things with him. And that's really appealing to me if I'm sitting in that like 
even six, I think, with the Celtics, that six to ten range, I think that's really appealing. It was crazy. Now, to be fair, I don't know some of these European guys that they were putting ahead of them, and I forget which which outlet had it, but they had Gordon fall into 11. I was just like, that's what, because I live in Arizona. I was like, I've yeah, seen... Yeah, Draft Express has him at 10. I, I've seen yeah. him. I've, I've seen 8 to 12 of his games. That's nuts to me that a kid like that would fall that far. Yeah. I have him at... Where do I have him? I think I want to say that he is... I'm pulling it up right now where just my like template because I'm going to be publishing a big board later this week. Um, I have him, there he is. I have him at seven right now behind Randall at five. I kind of have like Exum and Randall flip-flopped all the time because I don't really know what to do with them. And then I have Smart at six because Marcus Smart is just an animal. Yeah, athletically, I I like smart. Also, Um, let's give you. You've been. I'm. I am not the biggest Randall fan. I would kind of. It's not that I don't think he's skilled. I think he's a very skilled basketball player. I just think players like him are very difficult to build teams around. Give your spiel why you think he can be a statement. By the way, I I don't disagree with it. But give your defend your boy. So, with Julius Randle, a lot of people talk about, like, how he's a below-the-rim athlete, right? So, I think that they kind of underestimate how good he is laterally and how quick he is with the first step off the dribble. Like, he's going to be able to blow by almost all our forwards, I think, off the dribble. Just because he has that crazy mid-post game where he tries to just bully people to the rim. He's able to get that step on, I think, even most NBA-level athletes and then bully his way to the rim. Might not be super efficient finishing, especially early at the rim. He's going to have to kind of diversify his game a little bit, which I think he will. And I think he'll be able to develop the like 15-foot shot, which, honestly, he might already have. He kind of never showed it at Kentucky, but I think that given what we saw from him in high school, he might actually have that 15-foot 15 sh- 15 shot already in his repertoire. It might not be like a 45% 15-footer, but it might be like a 40% 15-footer that at least keeps defenses honest. I think that if he can get that shot, then it's going to get the defenders all off balance. And he's. Uh, I think that it's clear he is the best rebounder in this draft. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, Kentucky grabbed like 60% of their offensive rebounds against Michigan in the NCAA tournament, and he had a gigantic part to do with that. So yeah. I can't, I cannot argue that statement. Like, I mean, maybe MB like develops into the best offense or the best rebounder, but like right now, Julius Randle's pretty clearly the best rebounder. Yeah, I mean, I'm just and, looking through the names here. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think you could. Stokes? Stokes is a good rebounder. I, I just think that whenever you combine Randall's athleticism with like his instincts on the boards, that's where you kind of get it. The thing with Randall that does concern me is kind of something you brought up with Embiid, the turnovers. The turnovers are very scary with Randall. He 
does he tries to do way too much with the ball in the post. He doesn't know how to pass out of double teams yet. He kind of he got better at that as the season went on. But there were games where he was turning the ball over. It felt like five or six times, and you kind of just need to help him have him develop those instincts. I guess is where we're going. I'm looking up his stats now. Yeah, he had hit eight turnovers against Michigan State this year, five against Cleveland State, five against Eastern Michigan, five against Arkansas. So that's the point where I'm most concerned with Randall on the offensive end. I think that once the game, I think once the game opens up in the NBA a little bit too in the mid-range, which is where he operates, it'll help a little bit, but he needs to develop that pass out of a double team a lot more consistently, I guess. On the defensive end, people are concerned about the lack of rim protection. I don't it's a concern for me, but it's not an overriding concern considering he's gonna be a clear four in the NBA. Like you try not it'd be it's more of a bonus, I feel like, if you get rim protection from your four in the NBA as opposed to a necessity if that makes sense. No, I, at the four, I'm more worried. As long as you have a five who's a good rim protector, if you have a power forward who's just sure. a good team defender, I'm perfectly fine with that. Sure. And that's why I think that the Jazz would be a good fit for him, even though they already have Cantor and Favors. I think that he would pretty much immediately beat out in his Cantor. Like, Cantor's been, like, fine this year. He was fine this year on for 36 level. He wasn't, like, a bad player by any stretch, but... I think that if you pair favors with Randall, that's pretty much the dream scenario for Randall as a situation to step into, at least. A guy who's pretty interesting to me, and a lot of places seem to have listed him as a small forward, which I don't know. Jeremiah Grant from Syracuse. Does does he fill out and end up being a power forward, or do you think he's a wing? I think he's definitely a power forward. He fills out. He can't shoot. Yes. Yeah. He has no perimeter game to speak of. Um, yeah, I think he's a four through and through, and that's why I don't, I don't know that I have him in my top 30, honestly. Oh, you don't, so you don't like him. I I mean, he's an athlete, but the fact that he's six foot eight, 214 pounds, can't shoot, he has to put on 25 pounds, 30 pounds, I think, to really get to where I think he has to be as far as being able to play in the NBA. I think he's a guy that's pretty much an immediate draft stash in the D-League and hope he develops perimeter skills because I don't think that he's going to be able to develop enough weight like on that frame to be able to play in the interior in the NBA. Okay. It's the same way Same with K.J. McDaniels too. I, I have K.J. McDaniels in my top 30, but that's a wing. He's six foot six. He's huge for – he's like really – kind of built for six foot six, but even though he's able to defend the rim a little bit, he's got insane hops, but the fact that he can't shoot bothers me. Yeah. I mean, in this NBA, you kind of have to be able to shoot. You at least have to have the threat of a three pointer as a wing and guys that don't have it just kind of scare the crap out of me. Who are the Knicks might buy a second round pick or undrafted who you got any, late point guards that you like? Late point guards? I mean, if you buy a second-round pick, I actually have this guy in my top 30 right now, and no one is even near that on him as Russ Smith. 
I think Russ Smith is going to be like a Mario Chalmers level player in the NBA. The guy can shoot already. He gets after. He really gets after it on defense. Like heavy. The guy is extremely quick. Needs to put on probably 10, 15 pounds because he's only 160 pounds right now. And he's 23, which is like kind of scary. But the guy is so fast, so quick. Guy that can create for you off the dribble. Guy that can actually, de- he's developed his shot to the point where he's probably around a 38% three-point shooter. And guys like him who really work hard and you know who are going to step in and defend immediately, those are the kind of guys that I like in the second round. Guys who actually you know can create with the ball and then come back and defend on the other end. That you, screams backup point guard to me in the NBA. You like him more than Carson? Oh, absolutely. I love him more. Like, I, It's not even comparable to me. I think Jiki Carson's really going to struggle in the NBA. I saw him live uh, play UCLA in, what, January probably, and I came away. He's quick, but... I came away somewhat unimpressed with his like basketball sense. He actually had like a pretty decent roster and he didn't know how to use it. Like Jermaine Marshall can play. He's a good shooter. Uh, Jordan Bachinski is a really good NBA center or not NBA center, NCAA center. He might get drafted later, like last 10 picks of the draft, but he didn't know how to use them. He was a one man band out there and you with guys like him, you can't have that in the NBA. The um, Mark Hell Brown from Oklahoma State is he an is he an NBA player? That's someone I watch. Because I was the smart watching smart Oklahoma State at a lot of NBA level talent, so I watched them a couple times. He was really freak freak athletically. Is he someone yeah. who has a future? The height scares me with him. He's six three. He's twenty two years old already. He can shoot a little bit. He's going to need to. I think he needs to get up to like forty percent three-point shot level to make it in the NBA. He's a really, really good athlete. He's, yeah, it's just not, the height scares me. I don't know that because of the height that he'll be able to defend well, uh, defend twos well in the NBA, because he's even smaller than Gary Harris. And Gary Harris is getting kind of killed a little bit for his height right now. It's like six three and a half, six four. So you look at Markel Brown. Markel Brown... What did he measure at the combine? I don't even know. Yeah, they have him on at six three one eighty four. Yeah, six three and a half in shoes, so he's about the same height as Gary Harris. I think you're looking at a situation where he needs to really get the shot down. Like he shot thirty eight percent this year from three. He needs to become like a forty percent NBA three point shooter. I think, given the fact that he's an average defender and. Uh, Pretty good ball handler, but not like an NBA level ball handler. It's going to be able to get what he wants. People, now you mentioned Gary Harris. People are talking about that they might want to try and move him to point guard. That's not something I see ending well. I don't think they should do it. Um, he handled the ball pretty well for uh, Michigan State at times this year. He, I don't think he was necessarily like the nominal point guard on his high school team, but it was like he was a point guard shooting guard coming into the NCAA, like a combo guard. And then Michigan State just moved him over because they had Appling. And that was the smart move. I mean, he's way better off the ball. He moves well off the ball. Obviously, an elite shooter. Um, but yeah, I think that 
he's going to be better as a two. And he also, the other thing with him is he really gets after it defensively. That guy is a bulldog on the other end. And you're looking at, at worst with him, I think, a good three and D player who can defend ones and twos. Yeah, I like. I think Harris will be a good NBA player. He's, yeah, he's someone I, have Harris I like. At, uh, Eleven right now, I want to say. So, do you, is he your what? Not not point guard shooting. What number guard is he for you? Is that what is he? You're like. Do you have him ahead of Enos? Ennis. I don't know if I'm pronouncing. Uh, yeah, that Tyler Ennis. Right. I do have him ahead of Tyler Ennis. Actually, my number guard. I guess. I mean, it depends if you consider. I, I'll consider Wiggins a small forward. Uh, I have him below Smart, and then I guess that's it. Yeah, I have Stauskas right below him. Uh, what do you think of Stauskas NBA-wise? Um, I like him. It's going to depend on if he can – it's going to depend on where he defends. He's tall enough to maybe be able to defend threes eventually. Like he's 6'6". Six, 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 he's shrugging his shoulders and asking what defense is. Yeah, you, you can hide them there. <laughs> My point is that I think it's easier to hide taller players on defense. It's supposedly the Suns absolutely love him. Yeah, that would be a really good situation for him, I think. Here's the other thing. The guy can handle the ball. Didn't Isn't he like kind of working out for teams as a point guard just for the hell of it? I, I didn't read that. I do know that he him and Lavert were basically the point guards for Michigan this year. And yeah, Walton played more off the ball. Yeah, Derek Walton was like in a really weird situation this year. I felt like like he was clearly one of their five best players, but he wasn't playing anything that he was like used to at all. No, it, it worked out great, and he shot the ball well enough from three to a hundred percent be able to pull it off. And I think next year, like someone didn't have Michigan in the top twenty-five in their DeCourcy didn't. I was like that that. Uh, I don't know if I could name another team in the country who's going to be as good as Walton, Irvin, and Lavert at the one, two, and three in college bat. Outside of maybe Kentucky, I mean, that's unreal. You have maybe three NBA players right there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I buy Walton in the NBA. That, that's true. The other two. I'm someone that's a really big Zach Irvin fan. We've probably, I think, we've had conversations about that. I think he's going to be a stud next year. <laughs> he will make the. The beeline jump, what yeah, guys do they, from year one to year two. Absolutely. Um, he is an, go ahead. Incredible talent. That's he a, shoots the ball well. He's not like a fantastic athlete, though. This is kind of getting off track, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's uh, we can we can talk about whatever the hell we want. That's the best part of the podcast. Uh, last guy we'll talk about, Kyle Anderson. How do you think he fits in? Do you think he plays point guard, or do you think he's going to have to move? No, I'm going to play point guard. I I mean. I don't. I don't know. Is my thing. Like I have no idea. I love him as a player. Like I saw him probably. I think I saw him three times live this year. He's. You just like kind of watch him out there, and you look up at the stat sheet, and you're just like, "Holy crap! How does he have fifteen, eight, and eight? Like it's one of those situations where you just have no idea, like how he gets to the places on the court that he does. He's not a good athlete." By any means, like, but he's a smart athlete. He understands angles, and he just kind of gets wherever the hell he wants. It's really fun to watch. He, he was. I I've brought this up before. He ended up being for UCLA. What they hoped Cedric Bozeman was going to be back in the day. 
Yeah, pretty much. And he, but he ended up being much, much better at it. People, I've heard people mention the name Jared Jeffries with him. He's a much better offensive player than Jeffries, right? Yeah, but he's also not as good defensively. Yeah, like it's it's a give and take. I don't think those two are comparable at all. Anderson's more of a Boris Diaw than a Jared Jeffries. I like that comparison, but he Anderson would actually be better off being fat like Diaw, and it would probably be better for his career. Probably, but like you look at Anderson and you think he's like kind of rail thin. He's actually like two thirty, two forty. Like he's pretty solidly built right now. Like I think that. He's obviously not going to be able to step in immediately. There's going to be a huge learning curve for him, learning to play off the ball. It's kind of what you saw his first year at UCLA because they played him a little bit more off the ball. But, yeah, I, I just can't even tell you. I'd take him probably – I think I have him, like, in my late teens, early 20s. Um, I'd take him and pray, but I wouldn't really have too many uh, expectations at that level. I mean, once you get into – like, 20th overall, you're just kind of hoping for a rotation guy at that point. I'd just kind of take him and pray. What up? You, you, obviously immaculately talented. It's just whether or not the game translates. Yeah, the NBA is a hard play. You can be really, really skilled. And, like, you think of it, guys like J.J. Hickson, really talented basketball players can do some different things, but... It's just some guys are just hard to find that fit to make it all successful within the concept of a team. Exactly, and I think that's where Anderson might struggle a little bit. It's finding the right fit within a team concept. You've men- you mentioned your big board. Where is that going to be posted and when? That'll be on Fear the Sword at some point this week. I actually just started a uh, real job uh, two weeks ago, so it's been a little bit hectic in my life in general, but, uh, yeah, it'll be at some point, I'm going to write it, uh, probably today, tomorrow, I'm going to try and, I've, like, half written a thesis on Wiggins and Parker that'll be published in, like, multiple posts eventually, um, hoping to try and get some of that done today, tonight, um, so, yeah, that's that's the goal here, we'll say, this weekend, is to actually get to sit down and write for the first time in a little bit. And thank God there's basketball on tonight. Oh, no, yeah, these no basketball days have been awful. I don't yeah. get it. Why the hockey is – why hockey isn't doing afternoon games today and tomorrow, I do not understand. They're trying to take advantage of having the whole afternoon to themselves. Yeah, I don't get it either. I, mostly today, I'm excited to see uh, Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg, because I'm a Pirates fan. Oh, so are they are they throwing against each other? Yeah. Okay, that is pretty cool. That's I'm I'm baseball. I like you know what I like baseball as I'm an MLB TV network baseball fan now, where I can't sit and watch whole baseball games, but yeah. I can watch that MLB Tonight show where they cut from game to game to game. That's the way for me to watch baseball these days. That makes sense. I just can't do the full nine innings anymore. It drives me nuts. All right, Sam, thank you very much. Make sure you go check out his stuff, fearthesword.com, and some other SB Nation stuff. He'll be keeping you up. Uh, What's your Twitter handle? Uh, Sam underscore Vecini, so S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. All right, so go follow him there. He does a really awesome job with all the college basketball stuff. Also knows his NBA hoops. Sam, thank you very much. This wraps up this edition of the Mixed Wall Podcast.
Swamp Podcast.